You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, it is my great privilege to introduce one of my best friends of all of life, a guy I've known for years. His name is Pastor Mike Millette. Will you please give it up? A warm Sun Grove welcome to Pastor Mike Millette. All right. Such an honor to be here. Um, I certainly do love and appreciate that guy. You're a blessed church to have him as your leader. Aren't you grateful for his service? I mean, I tell you. And if you want to know some stories, I got some good ones. 25 years we've been friends, so, well, maybe I can't share them in church, so meet me after and we can talk. When you talk to somebody about your waiting room, the person you're talking to, did anybody smile about their waiting room story? No one, right? No one wants to wait. No one's going, oh, I love waiting. I love the DMV, right? What stories did you guys hear? I said the DMV, something like it, post office maybe, hospital waiting room. I got the chance to to sit next to somebody who was telling me about, it's their job to try to make the hospital waiting room better. So they have the screens now, right, where it tells you, okay, now they're in pre-op, then they're in the operating room, now they're in post-op. Oh, God, way to go. I love that job. We hate that waiting room, don't we? Um, Again, it is a, a, a privilege to be here, and, and I know I don't like waiting, um, but things that I do like, I love this church, I love these people that you're next to, I don't know if this is your first time, this is, I'm a guest here, like you, maybe if you're your first or second time here, um, and when you look at this building, you might not know this, this used to be a gym, correct, isn't that right? Look at the kind of rubber floors, if you drop the weights, or if you look up there, isn't that where you think all the treadmills would be lined up? Look on the balcony up there. Right, imagine all the treadmills pointing out, looking at the nice trees out the window, taking a nice run through the forest. <laughs> Not me, I hate the gym. I hate the gym. I don't like the gym. The only way I'm running through the forest is if a bear's chasing me. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah. Oh, or I might go to the gym after a great Sunday service when they're talking about I buffet my body and I make it my slave. I've decided I like the French translation of that verse better. I buffet my body. And I like to go and eat. I just think it's better. Worse than going to the gym, I sometimes make it worse when I go during the busiest times I go to the gym. Right right before work or right after, and it's packed. It makes the gym worse. Even worse is waiting in line for a treadmill. Okay, I'm going to torture myself. Now I have to wait in line to do that? There's just something wrong with that. My head would explode. I can't handle it. Um... And there's something about waiting that's just not fun. The worst waiting I can think of right now as we're talking, I mean, there's some terrible ones waiting. But how about this one? Disneyland line? Oh. Take a look. This is the worst part about Disneyland. The worst part. Take a look at this picture I got right here for you. That. Those are my kids. Ten years ago. I know, they're so cute. Like, oh, they look like their mom. You're right. Um, but those are, those are my kids. I love them. But that's the worst part about Disneyland. It's not all of them. It's just one of them. The big sister, you see the big sister? That's Brooke. And that, you know, it's about 10 years ago, that picture. She's 16 now. And um, why it's the worst is because she would look at me and say, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, we're at Disneyland. And, and I know you don't like this ride, but it's our favorite ride, daddy. Daddy, can we go on Casey Jr.? Now, if you don't know Casey Jr., fine, that's fair. But if you did know the ride we're talking about, you would all go, that's worse than the treadmill waiting line. It is the worst line in the park, and I'll tell you why. Um, you go on the Cars ride? Ever been in the new Cars ride at Disneyland? Yeah. 
They can get a thousand people through that ride in half an hour. It's efficient, it moves, it's quick. The Casey Jr. ride, they can get a thousand people through that ride in half a year. This is a terrible line, it's completely inefficient. Daddy, it's my favorite, and, and the triplets, oh, dad, those are triplets, the other three. Oh, daddy, the triplet, do it for the triplets, daddy. <sighs> so let me give you a quick idea of the ride. The ride is a train, Casey Jr., and uh, it's kind of this circus ride, and each of the little cars has kind of got giraffes on it, and you go in the giraffe cage, and it goes around a track, and it goes up a big hill, and it goes down the hill, and it comes back, and there's just one train. The line is right there where they're doing the loading and unloading, and this is the process. You're standing in line and you're watching this happen. They let about 20 people through the gate and they start loading the cars. Now this person that they do it, it's just one person. It's not the young kid, right, who's all excited. Yay, Disneyland, happiest place on earth. They don't have the patience to run this ride. This is going to be, you know, the senior gal who just loves Disneyland and loves kids and has the patience to handle this. Because this is what it's like. So they go, they take the people, they get them in each car, they lock each door, lock them in your little cage. They get all, whatever, about 20. And then she would start counting the people in each car. Lock the cage, one, five. Go through all, whatever, six, seven cars. Oh, there's room for two more. She'd go back to the gate, open it up, two. Well, we're all family, okay, two. Who's two, two, dad and the kid, okay, come on. They finally come up. Puts two, I think two more go in there. She goes back and starts counting again. I'm like, you just counted. How about add two to whatever the number just was, right? No, nope. she's got to count every single one of them again. And you just, right? You can't handle waiting. You have no control. I want to reach over and push the button. One button, push start. Just push. It's right there. Don't count again. Push there. I wanted to start doing the counting for her on the next loop. You're saying, it's 18, it's 18. Now it's 20. It's 20 now. The thing goes up, I think I can, I think I can, I think I cannot handle this ride. But daddy, oh daddy, we don't like waiting and, and feeling this powerless thing where you can't do anything except stand there and take it and wait. There are people in the Bible who like this feeling. They even use words like, I delight in this feeling. I like being out of, I can't control anything, I'm powerless, I'm weak. They like this feeling. People like David, um, if you can imagine, remember back when David's standing there and he's going to face Goliath, the big giant, and he's got his stones and he's going to put them in his little slingshot. My favorite moment of that story is when he flings it. In that moment, there's nothing he can do. He's completely powerless to what's going to happen next. If it doesn't go well, he's in trouble, right? He's going to be killed. This is his chance. He just has to sit there powerless and, well... Let's see how it goes. Paul loves this feeling. And that's the passage we're going to talk about today. He literally uses the word delight. And I like this passage we're going to look at because it actually talks about him willing to admit that he feels weak and powerless. So as you're turning there, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take a look at this passage. And as you're opening up to it, it's kind of toward the back of your Bible, 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 6. Try to uh, walk with me real quick. Let me set the stage of what's happening in this passage. This is the second letter Paul is writing to this Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church is kind of all messed up. The, the, these letters are very long. Like, they need a lot of help. And this is Paul's second letter to them. And what's happening now, Paul has left them, and now he's writing another letter because he's heard things are kind of going astray. And 
the, the church, these people in Corinth are listening to these teachers that are polished, that are very eloquent, and they're actually deceiving the people. And now they're starting to say bad things about Paul, and he's getting wind of it. In fact, not only are they saying bad things, they're saying untrue things about him. In fact, they're really damaging his credibility as even being a guy who should be talking about God at all. So what we expect to see in this passage is Paul defending himself. We expect to hear him talk about how Jesus healed him you know, from why he saw the risen Christ. That in fact, hey, I've healed many of you people. Of course, he's healed people here. The, why are they questioning his credibility? So let's look at verse 6. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast so that Christ's power, I will boast more all the gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak I am strong. What's this thing that's tormenting him that he feels so weak and this thorn in the flesh? Uh, there's been lots of debate over this for all the years. And uh, as a, instead of me trying to convince you of the one way that I really think that it is, let me just cover some of them. And I think it'll help us kind of put ourselves in, well, this is kind of my thorn in the flesh. And I'll go through some of them. I think it's good that it's vague and not clear. It helps us to relate to this passage. The thorn in his flesh could be physical pain. Right, I mean, here's a guy that over his life has been beaten 39 times with the lashes, right? One more and you die. Very similar to Christ, right? I mean, there's good similarities in this passage to what Christ went through. Um, he's been almost stoned to death, right? Getting stoned, stoned at you, that sounds pretty painful. And from that, he could be suffering from chronic pain. Something like my bad back people out here, right? Chronic pain, arthritis, just constantly nagging at you. Just moving from the bed to the restroom takes everything you got. That could be a thorn in the flesh that Paul's suffering. Um, it also could be illness. You gotta remember here, he's been in prison, so uh, they're not feeding him, you know, four course meals. So malnourishment is gonna hit him, and that could be his thorn in the flesh, and some of you can relate to that. That could be your thorn. You're, you're struggling with something like cancer going through chemotherapy, where just getting up out of bed, you feel so weak. I like this one um, uh, and, and the chronic pain one because the, it's an idea that, well, Paul's kind of putting himself in these positions, right? Well, he's putting himself and he keeps talking about God, so they keep arresting him and throwing him in jail. That's why they keep beating him. But a lot of people think, a lot of scholars think that it's his eyesight that's going bad. Remember, Jesus had healed him, he's blind, and now he can see again. A lot of people think that the thorn in the flesh is here's the guy who's supposed to be writing these letters, and now he can't see. He's having a hard time, having a hard time recognizing people. I like that one because sometimes things happen to us that aren't directly related to something we've done, right? Paul has put himself in that position, but sometimes things just happen to us. It could be emotional pain. 
In fact, I mean, if I was going to err on one, boy, I like this one because sometimes I think that emotional pain compared to physical pain is much more difficult. And if you've ever been in physical pain, the, the emotional component is the brutal part. Literally here in this passage, Paul is struggling with false teachers and they're saying all this bad stuff about him. And he's crushed because his people are betraying him. They're spreading gossip and rumors. And later he says that the more I love these people, the more I love my church, it's like the more they push me away and the harder it is. Aren't people hurts the worst? Don't they cut the deepest when you've been betrayed? Betrayed by a coworker, outpositioning you, outmaneuvering you for a position and thought you were on the same team. Facing divorce, already gone through divorce, been betrayed. Words from a teenager. I like that one. It's a good picture for this because it's a, it's a parent who is just wanting to love that teenager so much. And those words that come back that can cut so deep. Those emotional pains. Loss of a loved one. There was a memorial service in here yesterday, beautiful service, and um, sometimes those losses can keep us from moving on. We feel weak and powerless. You can't control those things. Some of you are waiting for test results. I don't like the new system, right, where they only call you if it's good. Some of you are waiting to get married. You know, sometimes that's the, the next one, right? So you go through physical pain, you go through emotional pain, but now you have to just wait, waiting to get married. There's nothing you can do. You're just waiting. Sometimes that, and now I don't think that really fits with Paul here, but for us, sometimes our thorns can be waiting where we can't move on. Waiting for your spouse to change. Don't elbow your spouse. That was not a good idea, right? There. Waiting for you to change. That's why we're in church today. That's bad. Don't do that. Don't amen. Waiting for your spouse to change, but... But sometimes we do that, right? Because sometimes those people closest to us hurt us the most. And they can be that thorn that knows just right where to get you. Waiting. Some of you are waiting for a, a great first date, right? A first date where you're sitting at the restaurant and the guy's not checking out the waitress. This is first date. What is wrong with you? So the guys sometimes might be on the first date and after 10 minutes, you're waiting for a date that's not like this where she's on her Facebook saying, uh, on her Facebook status in a relationship, right? It's been 10 minutes. What are you talking about? She's selfieing the two of you. Ah, look, there's my boyfriend. Okay, that's terrible, right? Just waiting for that person and you see everybody else like, oh my gosh, you're just waiting in this waiting room, waiting for a right job. Real quick, I want to show you the picture of the kids again. And these are some of the times that I've been in the waiting room just with them. And um, take a look again at Brooke, the oldest. She, um, I don't know, man, when my wife was pregnant with her, you're just wondering, is, is she going to actually come to term or are we going to lose her what, like we've lost other unborn babies? And you're just going, God, please, you know. You know, my, my I don't know what you call it, pet name, I don't know, I call her my angel baby, Right? Thank you, God, that she was even born, that you brought her through the whole term of pregnancy. My daughter, Paige, my youngest daughter up there, she burned her arm. And she's so cute. Look at her arm. Um, when she was only two days old, she had a, an IV, right? She's in the NICU, and the IV started to leak. But it didn't leak on the outside. It leaked underneath her skin. 
And so as the medicine went under her skin, it was burning her under her skin, and her arm was black. And the doctors told us as they're rushing her to UCLA that, um, you know, infection sets in. There's not much we can do. It's a long drive to UCLA. Powerless. Dylan, my oldest boy, let's see, he's on the far right with the big grin. You can't see the bottom of the picture, but he took his shoes off, which kills grandma. That's grandma's waiting room. Oh, put your shoes on. I bought those for you. He kicked them off. Just three months ago, he was in surgery. He was supposed to take, I don't know, about two hours. And right then at the two-hour mark, you hear over the speakers as we're sitting there. And they say, code blue, code blue, room four. And that's the room he's in. And, and, and the two-hour surgery turns into three hours. And you're waiting, wondering. Now, they came out and they ended up having to do two surgeries instead of the one. And the code blue had nothing to do with my son. There's, you know, we found out later there's like 19 operating rooms in room four. So it wasn't him, but in those moments of feeling weak and powerless. Carson, my youngest boy, <laughs> He's really happy. I think they're tickling him with a feather or something. He's having a ball. He was born, he was two pounds, 14 ounces. I mean, that's like a, you say like a football, literally he could fit right here all bunched up. Two pounds, 14 ounces. And he's here, he made it. I mean, uh, the patience for my wife to be on bed rest for four and a half months to get Carson here my hero. Way to go, man. Waiting rooms. Now, here's the problem with waiting is when, when we're wanting to keep calm and carry on and we're in God's waiting room, we know we're here and we're powerless and there's not a lot we can do with it. We can make it worse. So real quick, I have four things. Now, again, this might not be the exhaustive list. There might be hundreds of them, but try to fit yourself into a category that's most like you. Um, maybe for some of us, we make it worse because we want to go around. So let me give a quick traffic analogy. If, when I worked in um, Santa Monica, I lived in Simi Valley. It was about a 35-minute commute. But to get to my work, I had to go on the 405 freeway and pass through the 101 intersection. Anybody know that area? Oh. Right? I mean, it's just, oh, torp. I learned a lot about people sitting in traffic. This is the, you know, I'm not sure if it still is, but I know at the time it was the busiest intersection on the continent. I mean, this is not fun. And you learn about people, and you learn about the people who like to go around. I like these people. If this is you, I, I love you when I'm sitting in traffic because what you do is you get off the freeway because you think you have a better way around it, right? You're going to get off. In your head, you're on your navigation or whatever, and you're going to find a better route, could get off the freeway faster for me. <laughs> You're great. But how it plays out in our real life when we're in these situations of weakness, we think we can outsmart God and what we start to do is try to fill ourselves and, and make ourselves feel good right now and forget the consequences. So we start hitting the bottle, getting in relationships we know we shouldn't be in, we try to force our way, right? We, we think, I got a better way. I know what I can do. You know, God says this, but I'm going to kind of go around it. It doesn't work. It makes it worse, much worse. 
Some of us like to go alone. Now, I, I like you too. I like you people who like to go alone. These are the people who like to go alone and go alone quietly. They're not making a big fuss. They're going to go buy a motorcycle. They're going to be trafficked by splitting the lanes. That's fine with me. Good. That's one less car that's in front of me. Good. Go through. But in our lives, that plays out in a terrible, terrible way. Because what we do is we start pulling away from relationships and we start isolating. When things are going wrong, we make it worse when we stop going to community group. We stop showing up from church and we're shrinking back and we stop answering our phone. We think they don't really care anyway. Like no one really understands what I'm going through. Man, going alone, we can make it much worse. My go strong people are the same kind of people as the go alone people, but they're the people who are going to power their way through traffic, right? They're in one lane and they see the lane next to them and it's moving. They're like, well, that's the lane I'm supposed to be in because I'm more important than everybody else, so I'm going to get over into that lane. They force their way in. You guys know those kind of people? Okay, more elbowing spouses. That's nice. You're like, that's you, honey. Okay. Um, they elbow, they force their way in. It's the same kind of person that when you're getting on and everyone knows they're all going to traffic. Traffic's going all one way and everyone has to get on this next off-ramp to get onto the, free, the next freeway. And they buzz by the big line at the last minute they make the move to cut in. Right? That's the kind of person we're talking about. They're more important than all of us. Like our schedules don't matter. We're not trying to get home to our kids or our families. And they play the, oh, I'm from Ohio. Oops, you know. <laughs> sure. California plates. You know, you know those kind of people? Don't you just want to strangle them? You're like, you're not more important than me. And what happens in our life when we get in these times of weak moments and we're just supposed to wait and we're supposed to keep calm and just carry on and say, God, I will let you work through this. And we force our way through. And what happens is, is we leave a wake of people that we've hurt behind us. We've damaged these people behind us because we haven't cared about anybody else. We're going to get through because we're more important. There's people who, and this is a hard one, this is the go nowhere. Sometimes this is a solution. I believe it can make it much worse. It can make mating, waiting much worse. These are the people, I, I love these people. They, so I get there's only one people I don't like in this whole thing. <laughs> these are the people who get off and go see a movie. They're going to go and they're going to beat the system. They're not going to wait. They're going to go see a movie. They're going to go have dinner. They'll get home after all that. They're, they're not going to fight the traffic. Well, when we're faced with weaknesses and physical pains and emotional hurts, this looks like, you know what? I can't get out of bed. Just forget the alarm clock. Forget my responsibilities. I'm just going to go nowhere. I can't do it. Mike, you don't get it. If you understood what I'm dealing with, my loss, my helplessness, you would understand why I'm too sad. So instead of making it worse, what we can do is we can look at this passage in 2 Corinthians and we can get this um, guy to communicate to us and let God and his Holy Spirit change our perspective here. And we can get this idea in our head that Paul says that when we are weak, he is strong. How does that work? How does that play out? We can glean a few things from this first. We can carry on in prayer. As opposed to making it worse, what we can do is first and foremost carry on in prayer. That's God. He wants that to be our first step. It reminds me of Jesus in the garden 
um, the, the night before he's going to get killed and hung on the cross. And he knows what's coming. He knows his mission. He knows his purpose. And he's weeping as he's talking to the Father. Father, if there's any way that this can happen a different way. And see, I, there's something here that Christ modeled. And God understands us in our weakness. And he wants to meet us there. Does it change anything for Jesus? Nothing changes. But he begs God, like Paul does three times, take this away from me. God just says, wait. I got you. Come to me. And don't come to me with, uh, you know, a list of things that you want. I mean, these are the times you're coming to God and, and you're broken. You're laid out. You have nothing. You're going, God, if you don't take this away from me, I'm not going to make it. That's the kind of prayer. And I'm telling you, that James 4.8 passage where God promises that if you draw close to God and you lay yourself bare, he says, I will draw close to you. And the creator of the universe will meet with you in that moment. Nothing else may change, but I'm telling you, there's something powerful and magical and truly amazing about those moments. Now, a second part of this, which is perfectly exemplified in, in Christ's example, is that the next part is you've you got to go in community. Okay, so now, Jesus, yes, he went to the Father in prayer, and that was huge. But you got to remember in the garden, what did he do? He had just hung out and eaten dinner with his closest friends. He had washed their feet, and he brings them with him. One of them bolts and takes off, and he's going to betray him here in a little bit. And he takes his buddies with him, and he says, guys, I need you to pray with me. Let's gather around the table. If it was today, let's gather around our living room. Come sit on my couch. I got to tell you what's going on. I can't go into all the details, but guys, I'm broken. And then he takes, and he tells them, pray, pray. And he takes three more, right? And he pulls them aside and he says, now guys, look, we've been through a lot together. You are my closest. I mean, come on, please. I'm going to go over here and pray to my father, Please stay awake with me, right? It's late. They've already had dinner. Please stay awake with me and just pray. We got to go in community. And here's the problem. I think that a lot of us have tried community and it just hurts. You know, and I'm not doing community groups. Or maybe you've never tried it. Let me tell you, it is where the power is and the secret to this. You want to get through the hard times, you got to go in community. And Jesus modeled it for us. He's telling, I mean, if Christ can't make it through what's going to happen without community, without pulling his brothers together, how do you expect to do it? And maybe you're not in a hard time now, but I guarantee other people in the community group are. Maybe you're supposed to help them. And maybe you're not in a hard time now, but tomorrow's tomorrow and it's coming. You need community. But what happens sometimes, we get in community and then we get hurt and let down. And I know it happens because loving each other isn't easy, Right? It's not easy. Look at the person next to you. They're not easy to love. Well, honey, you're easy to love. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Today. Um, no, that's awful. But um, you got to remember, so if we, we're going to get alone in community. And what happened to Jesus is the same thing that happens to us. When we get into these community groups and we pull these three people away and say, please pray with me. Jesus comes back and what happens to those three guys? What are they doing? What's that? Sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, guys, don't you get it? Like, this is my weakest moment. I am broken. I'm, not, I'm in God's waiting with my father. I mean, I want to honor him, but do you know what's coming? Guys, don't go to sleep. And what's he do? He says, 
stay awake and pray with me. He goes over and prays again, prostrate. God, please, Father, if there's any way, not my will, but your will. Comes back and they're sleeping again. Your community group's going to let you down, but I'm telling you, God, give it another shot. He goes away again, comes back a third time, like Paul, praying, take this thorn out of my flesh. The next two are kind of grouped together, and kind of the only way to, to get these are carrying on in grace and carrying on in power. So the, the issue of carrying on in grace and carrying on in power, it really helps when you kind of put this in terms of a practical application, and I want to try to do an illustration here, and theologically, if there are any problems with it, um, my buddy Bryant helped me with it, so you can email him at bryantbenitez at gmail.com because I don't, it's all his fault. If you loved it, my name is Mike Millette. Okay, so... Um, this grace and power that they're talking about here, when it, when it says you're in weakness, that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you to fill you up. And then that there's this power and that your power comes from the Lord and is made perfect in weakness. So let me illustrate it this way. Some of us feel like this. Imagine this is power, fuel. And this is how we feel today when we walked in. We're on empty, right? The light's on. You're broken, powerless, nothing you can do to change your circumstances. You're in physical pain, you're in emotional pain. You're just waiting and you're saying, you know what? I got nothing. And you're talking about carrying on in God's grace and in his power. I don't feel any power. I'm empty. And there's other of us in here who life's going pretty good. We're feeling pretty good. We got our act together, right? Job's going okay. Health is going okay. Family's good. Kids are good. We're like, hey, look at me. I'm doing pretty good. I actually feel like this passage we're talking about in 2 Corinthians, I think that this is what Paul's trying to say. You know what? For him, he's able to heal people, right? He's able to do these amazing things. He's writing these letters. And yeah, he's not as eloquent as other people, but he's okay with that. He's like, okay, but God is telling him, look, I'm going to give you these difficult circumstances so that you don't get too puffed up or full of yourself. Do you really think what you're doing is making the difference? So what Paul's trying to say here is imagine this is our mission. This is what we're supposed to accomplish. And we think in our strength that we're going to accomplish our mission. And we go like this. And that's how effective we are in our mission. And yes, I mean, something is happening here. I mean, even Paul says to people who are preaching a gospel that's not really the true gospel, not really what Jesus taught. He's like, well, at least the gospel's being preached. It's being taught from mere men's opinions. And, you know, it's not being preached in this power of the Holy Spirit. And it, yes, something is happening, but it's not what this passage is trying to help us with. In fact, I think that Paul is saying here that sometimes it's easier to be weak. Sometimes it's easier. This is kind of like, I think if Paul was writing this letter to us today, he would say, hey, Sun Grove Church, hey, Church in America, you guys think you got it all together? There are places in the world where people feel like this and they are literally being killed. So how do you do it? Yeah, you could take, you, you, I'm not telling you this today. If you're weak, I'm not saying go on your mission and try to accomplish something for God. 
It doesn't work like that. This is how it's supposed to work, and I think what this passage is getting at is something more like this. We have this example, Christ, who did not consider um, equality with God something to be grasped. In fact, before creation, all that he had every attribute of being God. And in Philippians 2, what he says is, I didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself and took on the form of a man. This infinite God took on this form to accomplish a mission. So when he did that, he literally says, now I have emptied myself of all the God powers, all the omnis and all that, and he says, I am going to live and have to do things like pray to my father and beg him to have this thorn taken from me. And yet, he did it as the example of being filled with the Spirit, and he did it complete, although he had emptied himself from anything that he had to offer. And then he went on a mission. His mission was to save humanity from the very first people that ever walked to the very last people that were ever walk. And this mission is much greater than he could ever accomplish as a mere man. But yet, he willingly put himself down and made himself nothing. And he became obedient, and even obedient to death. And not just death, but death on a cross. That's the example. And as he's doing that, he's modeling for us, carrying on in prayer, carrying on in community. He's walking in grace and he's carrying on in power. And as he's doing that, what is getting done? What's the work being done? It's the Holy Spirit that is now going to do the actual work and fill the mission. So imagine the Holy Spirit is working through Christ. Now it's going through Christ. And the mission is getting accomplished. He has gotten out of the way. And now the power, this addicting power of watching God work as people are healed. People are going to have eternity because of the work that Christ did. It's the only way the mission can get accomplished. It's impossible for the mere man to accomplish that much mission. So when you're here and you're feeling weak, and you're feeling you've got nothing left. You have literally destroyed your life with making it all worse. And you don't even feel like this. It's like if I took this glass and threw it on the ground and it shattered. Now, it wouldn't because it's a rubber floor and it probably bounced right back up. But uh, imagine that it shattered. And you came in here broken. I don't know why I came to church, but I came to church broken. Tell me there's power in this room because this room is filled with people with the Holy Spirit and these people understand what this means. And what we can do then is we can tap into what Christ has done and his grace is sufficient for us. So our great, the, the grace that we need in our weakness is sufficient. So the work that Christ did in his mission is sufficient to fill us up. It's sufficient. Although we are weak, we are strong. And now we are built for a mission. And now we, like Christ, can have this Holy Spirit that indwells us, that gives us this power, that to accomplish this mission, we can do things through the Holy Spirit and handle being insulted 
persecuted, why Paul keeps going back over and over again. He keeps writing letters. He keeps getting thrown in jail. He's not stopping. How could anybody do that? As a mere man, they couldn't. Holy Spirit continuing to work, and he can fulfill his mission. And then together, we can go to Christ, and we can encourage one another in community. Check this again. For Christ's sake, this is Paul, I delight in weaknesses, insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Identity intact. When they're attacking him and they're insulting him, they're attacking the mission. They're attacking that work of the Spirit. For when I am weak, I am strong. Now, some of you didn't come in broken. You came in feeling pretty darn good. Pretty puffed up. And you can either willingly empty yourself. And even these things you think you're doing are all good. Maybe it's even serving a church. You're going to think, I'm doing pretty good stuff. I'm teaching. I'm doing whatever. Our best efforts are filthy rags when they're done by just us. We have to do them in the power of the Spirit. And this power allows us to do mission. So you have to empty yourself. And what Paul's saying is, sometimes it's more difficult to empty yourself. And he's going to use things like these waiting rooms to get our attention so we can get on mission. If you would, for just a minute, if you grab that card that you guys had out earlier, I think it's the yellow one. Can you guys all grab it and hold it up for me? As we wrap things up here. Just grab the card and hold it up so I can see that everybody has it. It's the right one. Is it yellow? And if you don't have one in the front row, just ask the person behind you to pass you one. So on that card, you can now bring it down. Some of you are the broken. You're like, oh my gosh, I need someone to pray with me. In just a minute, Dave's going to give you an offer. Come up. You know, people came up um, last service and, man, you just need prayer. You're broken. You don't, maybe, maybe the first time you don't really understand that, well, what's this grace, this grace that's unbelievable, that's sufficient, that can fill me up. Maybe you haven't understood that. Oh, this might be the day. And on that card, you, just real quick, like, let, let's say community group, that kind of hits you pretty tough. You're like, oh, I really need to do that community group. You just write that on your card. You have your name and community group. Someone will contact you and, you know, it might take a couple different tries to find the group that's right for you, but uh, that group needs you. You might not need it now, but tomorrow. So write that on the card. One of the easiest ways to dip your toe into mission, and, and believe me, this is where you're going to see this power, is on Easter. I mean, volunteer to be an usher or a greeter. I mean, you can't tell me that you don't have enough strength to be an usher. You can't do this? I think you can. I'm telling you, there's something when you serve God and when verses talk about things like it's greater to give and better to give than to receive. And we feel like we have nothing, yet we tap into this power and God does it through us. And you're shaking hands and you're meeting people as you're greeting them. And you're putting smiles on people's face thinking you have nothing telling you. Just try it at Easter. It's like a one-week thing. If you like it, great. If you don't, fine. Some of you are thinking, okay, I've done that. I've done the baptism. I've done that. In fact, I've been around church for a long time. I got my act together. Well, here's the problem with mission is that I wish I had different jars because what I'd like to show you is, you know, the first missions we do are those kind of simple ones where we dip our toe in. I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. It's fun being used by God. And then, but the jars have to get bigger. 
Because God requires our faith in this. And imagine Jesus is the ultimate jar, right? It's this infinity jar with no top. And right, he had to you know, do this amazing work that's impossible for us to do. And these jars kind of gradually get more difficult. If you look inside your program there on the back of that, um, the one uh, handout there, it has the mission strips. You see them listed on there? I like that there's two of them. And here's the thing about mission. They get more difficult. Fine. You've never been on a mission trip? Do the first one. It's to Mexico. Great. It's closed a couple days. But the thing with mission, it's got to be longer and sometimes geographically further away. We got to push ourselves and put ourselves in more difficult situations where God has to show up to do the work. The second one on there, isn't it Zimbabwe? The mission trip? Further away. Longer time. And what happens is you go on these trips and you know that there's nothing. You don't know anything about the people of Zimbabwe. You have no idea how God's going to use you. And yet the Spirit of God works through you. And you have no clue what you're doing. And God works through you. And then you're saying, wait a minute. This is incredible. And then people end up going for year-long mission trips and they become teachers. That's kind of what happens in church and pastors. We love this stuff. And then sometimes these people go on and they come back after this one year of teaching, they sell everything, and they go to Syria. Like, these people are crazy. Ah, they just get what it's about. The Spirit's doing the work, and that's the mission. For some of you, my, my CEOs, maybe people kind of got it together, CEO people, what you need to do is volunteer in junior high ministry. I just lost. Everyone went, I'm out of here. Why? You don't have to go over there to see God's power. Go work in middle school. You think, you know, as a boss, you used to, you know, your manager or whatever, and you have people, they listen to what you say. You do this. Yes, sir. Try that with a middle schooler. <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't get him to sit still. Sit still. Sure. Right? It's not going to happen. But there's so much power there. Spend a little time with a middle schooler. A little time. Take them on an adventure. Go to camp with them or even get an ice cream. 10 years later, 20 years later, they're going to bump into you at the mall. You're not going to recognize them at all because they were little, you know, whatever, 13 years old. And now they're 22, 23, 33, and they come up to you and hug you. Like, Thank you so much for what you did for working in middle school. It changed my life. And you're like, I don't even know who you are. What's your name again? <laughs> right? You don't recognize them. There's power in there. And if you don't think you have to depend on God and lean into this power when you're working in middle school ministry, but it is addicting. There's something about it that's amazing. You don't have to go very far to be involved in mission. Would you bow with me real quick? And we're going to wrap this up. Father, we just are in awe of you and your grace today is sufficient for all of us. Your grace will fill us up. And God, I pray that that happens right now, that as we're sitting here, whether we feel weak, we can get rid of that last little bit of anything we have and we will let you fill us up. And we beg you right now from the depths of our being to come in, in our emptiness, in our weakness. And Father, for those who are sitting here just struggling with feeling good and comfortable and they're on the cruise ship and they need to be in the battleship and God I just pray that they would I don't know spirit move in them that they would make themselves nothing they would empty themselves and let you fill them up 
and put them on mission that is way beyond anything they could ask or imagine. God, thank you for your word and for meeting me in my weakest, darkest depths. Thank you, Lord, for in all those waiting room times, you have been there for me, for my brothers, my sisters, Lord. Thank you for the work you did on the cross. Christ, you are truly our example. Thank you for your grace that in the depths of my humanity and how I've made a shambles of my life, you have come in and now taken even responsibility for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Your son's name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Thank you for letting me be here this morning. God bless. Thanks, Thank Mike. Thanks, Father. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.